things tonight that are really important. I mean, as we need a move of God, America needs a move of God, Dallas needs a move of God. Well, let's pray. So, Lord, as we come through the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, so we thank you for your word. We love your word. We honor the word of God. And thank you, Lord, for your presence that's here tonight. And Lord, we pray tonight, as, as I'm going to be speaking this, that you'd anoint and speak to me everything that needs to be said. And Lord, it will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good soil. Even now, I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit moving upon every single person that's going to be hearing this, people through the Internet all over the world, to be really captivated by the Spirit of God, to give you their best ear, their full attention, their focus by the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be distracted in our minds. Our minds aren't going to wonder but the Holy Spirit will help us to be good soil and to be open to receive. And Lord, I thank you by your Holy Spirit. Uh, the word will go into people's lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes as you speak to me everything that needs to be said. And Lord, we, we thank you also for the winds of the Spirit carrying this out to the nations. Lord, it'll go all over the world and land where it needs to land, and accomplish what it needs to do. We stand on the promise of the Lord that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We submit this unto you. And the Bible says that the birds of the air try to steal the seed. That's, that's the enemy. So, Lord, we agree together that anything that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to be and accomplish what it's supposed to do, in the name of Jesus, we bind you right now. You will back off. And Lord, I thank you for your angels just clearing away any hindrance that this will go forward and accomplish what you want it to. We believe it. We expect it. And I thank you, Lord, for everything accomplished in and through this time that your will to be done. Everything will be said in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as we get into this tonight, I'm starting a series called Paying the Price for Revival. Revival is a, a dear to my heart. It's a major aspect of our ministry. It's a theme that I'm very comfortable with. And it's something that I feel like that we need to be talking about. Unfortunately, revival has become kind of a buzzword, and people use it all the time. And I, and I say this with the utmost respect, but I believe that many times, a lot of what I hear people talking about revival, I honestly don't think that they really know what revival is. I think that they think revival is just people kind of getting excited, or maybe bringing friends or something, you know, or, or maybe that God causes their ministry to grow or have more money coming in or more of an influence out there or something like that. Revival is this. It's whenever we are done doing everything that we could humanly do and God comes down and takes over. That's revival. When God comes down by the Holy Spirit and begins to grip people with conviction, draw in the harvest, heal the sick, deliver the demonized, and you see Book of Acts Christianity, that is revival. And when, when revival truly takes place, people will never be the same. I remember that I want to share some things because the power of testimony as I'm going in this, but I remember when I went to revival. I'd grown up around Pentecost, so seeing the power of God and, and people speaking in tongues and all that, and, and maybe people falling out, I'd been around that my whole life. But I remember when I went to Brownsville during the revival in Pensacola in the, late, in the mid to late 90s. I went in 96 around March for the first time, and I remember the presence of God in that place was so strong that even when Brother Steve was just simply giving the altar call, 
I remember the presence of God was so intense, just weeping, going down. Even though I was saved, just really giving my life to the Lord and get everything right with God. And I remember God doing a deep work and going down it later and getting prayer. And a random altar worker prayed for me. And I remember being hit by the power of God and falling out and just felt like I was baptized in fire. And after that, I came back from that experience so hungry and on fire for God. And I've never been the same since. And that was around March of 96, I believe, when I went. From that day until we're in 2021, okay, March of 2021, I am still a completely different person, and I still feel that fire in me that took place way back in 96. When you're touched in revival, you'll never be the same. And people, listen, people that get saved in revival are radical. So let me, I just kind of wanted to share that to talk a little bit about revival, and as we go, um, let me share this tonight. I'm just being led by the Lord about what he wants me to share and how he wants me to share it. But I feel this. I'm going to start this series by talking about heaven's strategy. How many knows that you've got to hear from God about what to do? You've got to be led by the Spirit. And let me say as little moving around as possible, please. Help me preach this tonight, okay? But you've got to hear from God about what he wants to do and the strategy from heaven to see it come to pass. Everybody, please hear that tonight. Because a lot of people talk about revival, and as I said, I don't think they really know what they're saying. I don't think that they really know what they're praying for. Some of them, if revival came, it would totally mess up their ministry. And they don't even know that. You understand what I'm saying? If God came in and came into their ministry, their tables would get overturned. Uh Uh-oh. All of a sudden, people... Uh, would leave in droves because the Holy Spirit would move in and convict of sin and all the rebels that don't want to repent will leave. Hello? So true revival is life-altering, ministry-altering, radical. God turns everything upside down. Everything changes because he showed up and took over. So how do you see revival? You're going to have to get a strategy from God. What does he want you to do? I'm convinced that every church is different, and it's supposed to be. We're not, carbon, we're not carbon copies. Every person's different. Every gifting is different in churches. Pastors are different. And you need to hear from God about what he's desiring to see, but how do you get from where you are to that place? And I'll give you this. I guarantee you, if you're going to see revival, part of that strategy has to be prayer and fasting and repentance. But let me show you something from the Word of God. So Joshua chapter 1, I'm reading from the notes and those that want to follow along online. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Joshua got up early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. Now they were going to leave the wilderness and go into the promised land. This was a huge transition. And they spent the night there before they crossed. Then at the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp And they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you will set out from the place you are and go after it. So that's the God's prescribed way. How many knows we've got to do it God's way? Everybody hear me again. We've got to do it God's strategy, heaven's strategy. God's way was the priests carried the Ark on their shoulders. When David tried to do it the Philistines way, 
and put the ark on an ox cart and Uzzah caught it like that, he died. Remember that? You have to do it God's way. All right. So the little, he said, when you see the priest carrying the ark, he said, you're to follow it. Follow the ark. Follow the glory. If you're really following the Lord, you're going to go from glory to glory to glory. If you stop following the Lord, the glory will begin to diminish. All right. However, he said, there will be a distance between you about 2,000 cubits by measurement. Don't go near the ark, basically. But look at what he says here, and I want everybody to pay attention to this. He said, you have not passed this way before. Now, some of this sermon tonight for River of Life, this is prophetic. We're about to go into new territory, and we have not passed this way before. It's time. It's time for significant change in River of Life. Everybody say, it's time. So then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. Did everybody see that? That's part of heaven's strategy, is that we consecrate ourselves. He said, for tomorrow the Lord will do miracles among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant, cross overhead the people. So they took it up and they went ahead the people. And the rest of the story is when the priest had the ark on their shoulders, they went to the Jordan and it was overflowing. But as soon as they put their feet in the Jordan, it parted just like the Red Sea. And the people of God followed them through into the promised land. But what I want to show you here is God was doing a new thing. It was time, he said, you have not passed this way before. It was time for them to go into the promised land. And he was saying, this is God's strategy. This is the way God is choosing to do it. The priests carry the ark. You're to follow. It's going to happen tomorrow. You consecrate yourselves because it's time now to cross over. All right, then in 2 Samuel 5, 24, David had to get the heart of God. He had to get heaven's strategy. The Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel. So all the Philistines went up to seek out David. When David heard about it, he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines came and overran the valley of the Rephaim. Now, just spiritually speaking, this was the giants. This would have been like a spiritual stronghold. Don't let that escape you there. The valley of the Rephaim was an ancient spiritual stronghold, okay? So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord said, Go up, for I will certainly hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal-perazim. And defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. And so he named that place Belperazim, the Lord of breakthrough. And the Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. Now, another problem comes up. The Philistines again are going to battle against David. Now listen, David had to get heaven's strategy. And so the Philistines came again and overran the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord and said, you shall, and the Lord said this, do not go up directly against them. In other words, the battle you fought before, this is a different battle, and I'm giving you a different strategy. Do not go straight against them. He said, rather circle around behind them and come by the poplar trees. And then he said, it will be when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, then you will act promptly for the Lord has gone out before you to strike the army. So in other words, the Lord told David, 
This time, don't just go up straight up against them. Circle around. Wait until you hear my angels go before you. You'll hear the marching. When they go in front, he said, go then because I've given them over to you. And so David did this, and the Lord, just as he commanded, and he struck and killed the Philistines. So David had to get God's strategy. How many know sometimes you're at a place where there's a huge change, and that's where River of Life is. It's time for radical change. We've been in about a seven-year span of a certain season where God's been doing very specific things. It's been extremely powerful, great preparation, but that season is now coming to a close. Just like Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, but there came a time where that was over. And Joshua said, consecrate yourselves. That's important. He said, because the Lord is going to now take us into the promised land. But Joshua had to hear God's strategy. Just like David. David had to hear, Lord, I know you want this enemy defeated, how do you want me to approach this? And the Lord said, circle around and wait because I'm sending my angels. So this is what I felt for us, for River of Life, as I go through about five points real quick, what God is saying to River of Life. Revival is coming. Revival's at hand. In some ways, revival's been here in our midst. But God's about to open things up. Just like the promised land, that was a prophecy. Moses gave the children of Israel a prophecy when he said, the Lord is going to take you out of Egypt, but he's not just going to leave you as you leave Egypt, that you're outside of the boundaries of Egypt. He's not just going to leave you there. He said, no, the Lord is going to take you into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God's going to give it to you. You will possess that land. Now, we know that I'm giving you the long and short of it here. We know they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Now's the time for that prophecy from Moses to be fulfilled. It was actually going to be carried out with Joshua as their leader at this time, but now is time. And so when the fullness of time came, Joshua got God's strategy, just like David got heaven's strategy. Now, let me show you something else. Number one here in the notes is divine revelation strategy about the walls of Jericho. Let me give you another example. You've got to be led by the Spirit and not your natural mind. Does everybody look this way and hear what I'm saying? You've got to be led by the Spirit. You cannot be led by your natural mind. How many people? I can't tell you how many. I could give examples. At the sake of time, I probably won't. But how many times have people tried to strategize, how are we going to do church? And they've got it all figured out. I mean, there's seminars and everything about it. They can tell you how to do church. But there's a difference between doing church and seeing God come down and change lives. They're two completely different things. If you want God to come down and change lives by his power, heal the sick, deliver the captives, a powerful move of God, you're going to have to get heaven's strategy for that. If you just want to do church, you can have seminars. You can just do church. It'll be a social club. It'll be entertaining and all that, but it won't be powerful. You've got to choose which one you're going to do. Now, Joshua was a man led by the Spirit. So just think about this for a moment. The first great battle Joshua had to face is they entered the promised land as Jericho. You've got this city. As you come upon this city, it has a huge, massive wall around the entire city, and there's no way to penetrate the wall. 
And so Joshua looks at it and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's heaven's strategy to take this? Because the prophetic word the Lord was that you were going to give us this land. There's no way in the natural. And you can just see as Joshua heard from God, and Joshua tells the people, here's what God said. For seven days, on day one, we're going to march around the entire city once. Then on day two, we're going to march around the city. Can't you just imagine the people are thinking, what are, you, what are you talking about? This is a military strategy we're supposed to be coming up with. Day three, we're going to march around the city. Day four, day five. Day, on the seventh day, he said, we're going to march around it seven times. By that time, you know that the inhabitants of Jericho were on top of the wall making fun of them. And you know their natural mind was thinking, this is foolish. We're wasting our time. We need some kind of a military strategy. But the Lord said, do it my way. This is heaven's strategy. Do what I said. So on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. And at the end of it, listen to what they did. They blast the shofar. They lift up a shout. And what happened? The walls came down. Supernaturally came down. And then they possessed the land. If they had not done it God's way, they would not have got that victory. There had to be a strategy. And so God will speak to you about a strategy. And let me remind you as well that Daniel fasted and prayed for 21 days because he needed to get revelation. When Daniel fasted and prayed for 21 days, he knew the prophetic word of the Lord through Jeremiah was that their time in Babylonian captivity was over. They needed to get out of Babylonian captivity. So Daniel began to pray and began to do a partial fast, and he was seeking God. And because of his prayer and fasting, God sent the angel of the Lord to Daniel to bring him revelation. Everybody say revelation. Daniel had to get revelation. And then also we know that his prayer and fasting released the angels and things began to change. A series of events began to unfold, culminating in Cyrus coming to power and sending the Jews back. So see, somebody had to get heaven's strategy. And so here's what I feel prophetically, number one, river of life. The strategy of the Lord for river of life has been one of prayer and fasting. And as people have humbled themselves, even right now we're in a season of that, as people have been humbling themselves in prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord, then God is sending revelation to us. He's showing us what we need to see, but he's also sending his mighty angels behind the scenes. You may not see them, but nonetheless, those angels are going places we can't go, doing things we can't do, to have a forward momentum in what God has for us. Just like Joshua. Joshua was about to take Jericho, but before that even happened, Joshua saw the angel of the Lord there, and the angel was sent by God. What? He was the one that was going to knock those walls down. See, when they blasted that shofar and shouted, that unseen angel was the one that knocked the walls down. You understand that? So God is going to make a way but I believe our prayers and I believe our persistent fasting that we've been doing is releasing angels that are going and opening things up. Number two, 
is a strategy God's given us in River of Life of not only prayer and fasting, but a strategy of deeply consecrating our lives. Every revival has had to have these ingredients. And we'll give some quick examples. So the Isle of Hebrides, great revival, 1949-50-51. But how did the revival happen? Just like every other revival, for the sake of time, I can't go through all of them. But every revival has had this ingredient, deep prayer and fasting. In Hebrides, they saw the church, saw that people were backslid away from God. They weren't in church. The, the bars and all that was full. The churches were emptying out. There was a generation emerging that weren't hungry for God. And so they began to really fast. There were two elderly women that were sisters in a house, and they, they sought the Lord, and they began to tell this pastor, we need to pray. So the pastor asked some to join him, and these men began to meet in a barn in the evenings, it was in a town called Barvis, and they began to pray. There was between seven to 12 men that would gather, and they began to pray in this barn while those two elderly women prayed in their house. And what were they praying for? Revival. They were humbling themselves, and they were crying out to God, Lord, send revival to Hebrides. Lord, we need revival to come. And during the midst of their prayers and their seeking God, God spoke to them, uh, the scripture in Psalms, that says, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and pure heart. So they begin to say, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And they begin to really pray, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And as they humbled themselves and prayed and fasted, sought God and repented of their sin, something, Duncan Campbell talked about it later. It's on YouTube. You look it up. Duncan Campbell said something broke loose in that barn in Barvis that shook the whole community. And that revival was so powerful, they asked Duncan Campbell to come through a series of events. He ended up coming. But the Holy Spirit would just fall on a group of people, and they would be weeping and wailing and crying out for mercy, and a harvest would just yield by the Spirit of God in front of Duncan. He was amazed at what God was doing. How did it start? What was God's strategy? Prayer, fasting, repentance in that barn. Did everybody catch that? It was a strategy from heaven that birthed revival. The second thing I, would, I want you to take notice of is in that barn, the men said, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? I'm asking for revival in our community, but I need God to send revival to me first. And so God gave me as a pastor this strategy in River of Life, not only prayer and fasting, but deep consecration couple times a year. So Hebrews 10, verse 22, it says this, Let us approach God with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So it says, let us approach God. There's a way to approach him. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? You see, one with clean hands and pure heart. So the strategy God gave me was that we had to have a couple times a year where as a corporate body, we would humble ourselves in prayer and fasting and say, Lord, search me and know me. Show me any wicked way and purge me, Lord. I want to be clean. And at the end of that fast, we come together like we're going to do next Saturday night, and we'll have a special service that's dedicated specifically to that. We take communion together in a special way, and it's very powerful. 
Then my wife and I anoint people with oil and pray over you that God will empower you and consecrate you. And finally, we have water immersion after church, and pretty much everybody comes because they want to go deeper in Christ and consecrate their life. And the body's washed with pure water. There's a cleansing. And I have felt in the communion at these consecration, in the anointing with oil, and in the water, I have felt the glory and power of God. I have seen over and over and over where people told me afterward, Pastor, I feel so different. How many people would even say now, Pastor, during those deep consecration services, I would wake up Sunday and I'm telling you, I felt different. How many would say that? I have felt that too. I felt as a pastor coming in after that time of fasting and consecrating our lives, I have felt when I've come in here, it feels so spiritually clean. Why? Because people have been fasting, repenting, and then consecrating their lives. So those are the two strategies. Number one, prayer and fasting. Number two, deep consecration. Then number three, the strategy is deep intercession. Y'all, please look this way. Give me your best ear. This is prophetic for River of Life. Prayer and fasting, deep consecration. Number three, deep intercession. A lot of people probably skipped over this in the, in the story about Lazarus. Jesus waited for Lazarus. He didn't go when Lazarus was sick, so he waited until Lazarus died. Then Jesus showed up. Why? Because the Lord delayed because there was going to be a greater miracle. How many knows it's a far greater miracle that glorified Jesus to see the dead raised than it was just to see another sick person healed, okay? So the Lord waited for a reason. But when Jesus showed up, read the story for yourself in the book of John. It says when Jesus showed up there and the people were weeping and all that, it says that Jesus groaned. And some of these intercessors hear that there is a deep groaning and travailing in the spirit that is so powerful. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about we don't always know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will pray through us with groanings. And then also the Apostle Paul talked about how I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ be formed in you, okay? So I'm again in the pains of childbirth till Christ be formed in you. There's a strategy of a deep uh, groaning, travailing, a deep intercession that has got to be there. See, we can pray from our own human intellect But how many knows it's a completely different thing when the Holy Spirit is groaning through you with with utterances that's too deep for words, the Bible talks about. It's a deep groan, a deep intercession. And that's what you're hearing with these intercessors. It's something that God has been doing. And it reminded me of this story in the Bible. There was a, a woman named Hannah. And during this time, back in the Old Testament, her husband had another wife, and they would go to the tabernacle uh, once a year. And when they would go, they would bring their offerings and they would pray and they would do all the things they were supposed to do. But the other wife was getting pregnant and having children. So she was kind of ridiculing Hannah because she wasn't. She was barren, or at least it seemed that way. And Hannah was deeply grieved because she wanted a child so bad. And when they got to the tabernacle, She was so deeply burdened that she was praying quietly and her lips were moving, but really she wasn't making any outward noise, but she was deep within, she was groaning and she was praying to God, crying out for a child. 
And the high priest at that time saw her and thought maybe she was drunk. And so he was correcting her, basically saying, why are you coming to God's house drunk? Well, you know, and she said, it's not like that. She said, I'm just groaning and travailing. I'm crying out for a child. And the high priest said this. This is also important. He blessed her. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but there's, there's something about a male authority figure putting a blessing on you that's very powerful biblically. And so he blessed her that she would have the answer to her prayer. But that deep groan, when she got back home, she got pregnant, and she made a deal with God. She said, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you. Well, see, a lot of times it seems that things are a certain way. It seemed in the natural that Hannah was barren, and she was being ridiculed by others about it. But in actual fact, she really wasn't barren. She simply, it was God's timing and his strategy because she wasn't just going to have any child. She was going to give birth to the prophet Samuel, who was one of Israel's greatest prophets, and he led the entire nation of Israel. Not only was he Israel's most beloved prophet, and he was a true man of God, and he led the nation, but he also was instrumental, and he is the guy that picked David out of all of his brothers, pulled him in there, and think about what I'm saying here. He anointed David, king of Israel. And Jesus Christ will come in the near future and sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Think about all these things I'm saying. Hannah was going to give birth to something that was not an ordinary child. And for River of Life, if you want revival, and I believe that we do, you're not praying for just another church. You're not praying about just an average thing. You're believing God to come down and do something extraordinary. And I love the words of Duncan Campbell in Hebridean Revival. As he talked about it, he said, that God, that something broke loose in that barn in Barva through deep prayer and intercession. He said that shook the whole community. He said God seemed to be everywhere. He said that you could feel the presence of God as people were gripped with the fear of God and repenting. And he talked about the sovereign move of God. And he said, oh, that we might see it. See, the Hebridean revival was not just like, oh, well, we're just going to plant another church and we're going to do church and it's going to be an entertaining thing or a social thing. And Duncan Campbell even talked about that. He said, it is something that our greatest evangelistic endeavors could never do. He said, God himself was moving in the midst of men. Think about that. So Hannah was not just giving birth to something ordinary, but something extraordinary and that she was ridiculed, but yet there was a deep groan in her. So, the first three, prayer and fasting. The next one, deeply consecrating our lives unto God. And then number four, deep intercession. The groaning, the travailing, the deep intercession. See, there is a place where the deep in us, our inner belly, our spirit, the deep in us, is calling out to the deep of God. There's a deep groan that's too deep for words. The Holy Spirit is using you 
as a deep travail, a deep intercession. And I remember hearing that at Brownsville, and I remember one time these little children, the Holy Spirit fell on little kids at Brownsville. And they began to be on the floor, rocking like this, holding their bellies, and they were weeping and wailing and groaning and travailing. It was so powerful how the Holy Spirit was moving on these little kids that the youth pastor, I mean, I'm sorry, the children's pastor, his name was Van, he brought them out into the main sanctuary. And Steve Hill was such a, a man of God, such a man of the Spirit. He just wanted what God was going to do. I mean, thousands of people were there. He didn't really care about any of that. The Holy Spirit was moving through those little kids. So he basically kind of stopped the flow of everything else going on and moved the service into intercession, joining with the little children. So the Holy Spirit started with those little children, but the Holy Spirit fell in the whole place. And you began to hear every, so many people groaning and travailing. And I love what Steve said. He said, this right now is the deepest form of prayer. He said, these little kids are birthing souls tonight. See, that deep groaning and travailing that you guys are doing, you really don't know what you're praying. But the Holy Spirit is praying through you, and the Holy Spirit is using that deep groan and travail to cause your lost loved ones and the greater harvest to yield in the future. Your birthing souls. Number four strategy that God gave me is the Watchman program. And Brother Sergio Scataglini was kind of instrumental in some of this. I had already had this on my heart for many, many years, but he really spoke to me because I don't want to get into some areas I could, but we've, we've tried corporate things in the region. And as we were joining with others once a month or whatever, there was just the warfare coming against certain people. And I, I didn't mention any of that. I was with Brother Sergio and I was talking to him and he asked me what we were doing. And I was telling him about prayer. And he said, well, brother, he said, the once a month thing, he said, you know, he's real sweet. He, Hear my, he said, I think you're wasting your time. Brother. He said, I think you're just going to tick off the enemy and invite warfare. <laughs> he said, you need to have something that every day you're like pounding the enemy back. And I felt it when he said it, and I said, he's right. Because, I mean, it, all it done is just invite warfare, and there's people getting hit. And so God put on my heart this Watchmen program, and this was another strategy. Strategy number one is what? God's given us prayer and fasting. Strategy number two, deeply consecrating our lives. Strategy number three, deep intercession. Here's number four, the Watchman program. So I asked people just voluntarily if they'd be willing to take a day of the week and fast just that one day. Because, you know, we've all got to do this together. It's got to be a corporate thing that any one person can't carry the load. And so every day of the week, there's a person that has agreed on that day that they're a watchman and they're going to pray and fast from morning to evening. And they have a sheet that we're all in agreement about. And every day of the week, somebody's praying and fasting. And what I love about that is this. In the book of Judges, as I talked about last week, I believe chapter 20, there's a story where Israel lost two battles and they fasted from morning to evening. And after the fast, they saw the victory. So they added that dimension of fasting. And so every day of the week, somebody is fasting from morning to evening. And I believe that that has helped to hammer back, push back 
the enemy and has really been powerful. Things we're praying about, God's doing it. Number five, the strategy that God gave me was that every week we would come together. We have our Tuesday night prayer and what many call the harp and bowl or the incense or whatever. But Tuesday nights we have praise, worship, prayer, intercession. I really don't teach. Every once in a while I might share a little nugget, but the focus is praise and worship, prayer and intercession before the Lord. And that corporate prayer meeting, and I commend River of Life because most places you go, very few show up to prayer meetings. And that's why America's in the situation we're in. I say it in love, but um, yeah, churches, anyway, but in River of Life, I just commend you guys because we have such a high percentage of people that actually come to the prayer meetings and pray. And such a high percentage, I want to commend River of Life, such a high percentage of people that joined in this fast. I don't think there's anybody that's a regular attendee at River of Life that isn't fasting right now something. You see, and God sees that. And River of Life, by and large, is also almost 100%, if not 100%, are tithers and givers. You know what the Lord said about that? He said, if you'll tithe, he said, I will open the heavens above you and pour out a blessing there's not room enough to contain. Derek Prince said that open heaven isn't just financial blessings, it's revival. So those are the five strategies God's given me. Prayer and fasting, deep consecration, deep intercession, the Watchmen program, and Tuesday night corporate prayer. And of course, we've had, you know, we're continually getting out witnessing and the things that we're supposed to be doing. We do the right things, but we need a move of God. It's time, River of Life. It's time for forward momentum. It's time to leave one season, go into the next. And we're at that crossing point. So these are the last couple things. The God of breakthrough. There comes a point in time, and I believe it's in Micah, where it talked about the Lord going before them as the breaker, the one who breaks it open in front of you. There comes a point in time where you're supposed to leave where you're at and go into the next thing, just like Joshua crossing over to the promised land. But when Joshua took the children of Israel over, look at what he did. Number one, the children of Israel that grew up in the wilderness time were not circumcised because their parents apparently didn't obey God and circumcised them on the eighth day. So Joshua had to have the entire nation circumcised. He shouldn't have had to do that, in my opinion. People have excuses why they didn't, but it was still, it was still rebellion because God said to do it, and they didn't. There's no way around that. So Joshua had the entire nation circumcised. What was going on there? They were getting everything right with God. You know, before you go into war, you better make sure that you're right with God. You want to take the promised land? You better be obedient to the Lord and do what he said do. So the areas of our lives that have not really been obedient to the Lord, it's time to say, Lord, forgive me. You know, and I'm not, this isn't about anybody here because I don't know everybody's story. I'm just saying this because this goes out through the internet to the masses. But there's all kinds of excuses why people don't go to church. But the Bible says don't forsake assembling yourselves together. Bottom line is all your excuses are not going to fly to God. It doesn't matter. Your life is not obedient. And the same thing about other things. If you don't tithe and give and all that, it's disobedience. And so there's people whose lives are not lining up with the word. Joshua had to get the nation in a place of being obedient 
to the Lord. Number two, they kept Passover. And so they all, as an entire nation, they kept Passover. They uh, reverenced the blood of the lamb. There's something about that. In River of Life, another strategy God gave me was that when we come together once a week, we take communion. And I've done a whole teaching and series on the power of communion. But there's something about the bread of presence and bringing our lives under the blood, reverencing the body and blood of the Lord. There's something about what represents his body and blood going into our body and blood. There's something about that that deeply consecrates us and gives us access into the glory. And so as they kept Passover, the Bible says on the other end of that, they lined up their lives with the word, they kept Passover, then what? The Bible says the next thing that happened was the angel showed up. And this mighty angel shows up to Joshua. This was the angel that was going to knock down those walls. But before the walls had to come down, they had to get their life right. And they had to get under the blood. And then the walls were going to come down, see? So Joshua got that divine revelation about marching around, blasting the shofar, and then the victory came. And let me say this too. Joshua and those that went into this situation in Jericho where they were marching around the city for seven days, look, here's the situation. You're supposed to be defeating this city in a military campaign. Instead, you're marching around the city. You know on day three, day four, and it probably took them all day to gather and march. You know that by day three or four or whatever, that they were starting to get discouraged because they weren't seeing anything actually happen. The important thing is when you've heard from God, you may not see things happen for a little while. You've got to stay with it. And don't try to fix it yourself. Once you've heard from God about something, you remember how God told Abraham, here's heaven's strategy for Abraham. He said, I'm gonna, you circumcise yourself, your household. He said, I'm making this blood covenant with you. I will make you the father of nations. So he spoke to Abraham the strategy, but at some point in time, Sarah was telling Abraham, look, why don't you take the handmaid? So they were trying to do it themselves. See, once you've heard from God, don't try to fix it. Don't try to change it. Don't try to do it yourself. You've got to stay in faith and let God actually do what he said he's going to do. And we know the story in Joshua, once they got to the end of it and shouted, the walls did come down. But see, if they would have given up on day six and they didn't pursue it and they didn't continue on, they would have never seen that great miracle. So I close with this, remember, if you are really serious, and I believe that the regular people in River of Life, I believe you've been with us for a little while, if you're really, truly serious about revival, and when I say revival, it's not about the things people make it about. It's not about fancy buildings, a lot of money, and the smoke and the lights, and all the things, the entertainment, and all this stuff. It's not like that. Real revival, where God comes down, okay? Revival, if you're serious about revival, begin to press into God in deep prayer and fasting and consecrate your life. But here's what's going to happen. Not everybody's interested in that. 
You ever notice that you can have a church service and certain people really get touched and other people are bored? Not everybody's really interested in God. And so as you go after revival, you go after a move of God, what's going to happen? The numbers are going to start shrinking down. We used to have quite a few more people around. But the numbers will shrink down because not everybody is there for pure motives and the right reasons. God's going to thin the ranks, just like he did with Gideon. Do you remember the story of Gideon? Gideon was going up against an army. It's like 100,000 men. And Gideon has a group of people. They're still outnumbered, but they still at least have you know, thousands and thousands of, of, of Israelites that are going to go to war. And God told Gideon, there's way too many. And God began to shrink down the numbers to 300 people, going against 100,000 or more. It was ridiculous. In other words, God shrunk the numbers down to where it was, it was not even remotely possible that they could have won that battle. It had to be God doing it. That was heaven's strategy. Gideon had to get God's strategy. And so here was God's strategy. You realize how stupid this would have seemed? Gideon said, the Lord says, with these hundreds of thousands of people out here, tents as far as the eye can see, we're going to surround them up on the hill, and we're going to break our little clay pot. And we're going to blast the shofar and lift up a shout. That's our strategy. 300 people. You ask how foolish that looked. But yet, God came down, threw them into confusion, and they began to kill each other. God gave them the victory. Heaven's strategy. So in other words, God will shrink the numbers down on purpose, down to a group that's there for the right reasons, about the right things, in unity. Just like in every other revival, going back, I could go through all of them, it's always been a small group of people in prayer and fasting, and I can prove it historically. People look after the fact, but it was birthed in a small group of people in deep prayer and fasting and unity that birthed that revival in prayer. And then the masses were affected, okay? Just like Hebrides, just like the great Cane Ridge revival, etc. So don't get discouraged also. Last thing here, do not get discouraged when people don't understand what God is doing. Because Hannah was in deep travail in the temple or the tabernacle, and she was being ridiculed by her peers. How many knows if you're really going to go after God, you're going to look foolish to the religious? You're not going to look um, like you're doing the right things because you're, you're seeking heaven's strategy for a God-sized miracle, and they're just wanting to do church. And it doesn't go together. It's like oil and water. So don't get discouraged when you're not understood, okay? Because remember David at Ziklag. David came in, and all, the Amalekites came in and raided the camp, and David and his men lost everything to the point that the men were even talking to stoning David. David could have got discouraged at where he was at, but this was the last great trial before David was going to be anointed king in Hebron. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. You've got to go back to the, the promises, the prophetic words that you know. How many of you guys knows that you, you've had a couple of prophetic words down through the years that you know God spoke to you? You know that was God. Either you heard it yourself or somebody gave you a word and you knew that was the word of God. 
in those times like David at Ziklag, you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You've got to go back to what God has said and what God is doing right now and what God is going to do. And you've got to stay focused on that. That's heaven's strategy. You're marching around the walls. God said do it seven times. You're on number three. You could get discouraged, but you know what you've seen God do in the past. You know what God said he's going to do, and you look with anticipation at what, when he's going to fulfill it. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. So as we continue to pray, River of Life, I believe that God is saying, number one, that just like Daniel, as we pray and fast, God is releasing his mighty angels to go and do things that we can't do. Number two, just like Hannah, there's a deep groan and travail because God, we're doing it, heaven's strategy for us. Well, God spoke to us because God's wanting to fulfill his prophetic word in and through river of life, okay? And so we've got to stay with it and not get discouraged, which I don't feel like anybody is discouraged, but I'm saying this for the greater population out there that's going to be hearing this. It can be easily discouraging at times. Because if you're really going to go after God, a lot of times there's a lot of people that aren't going to go with you in that because they're not interested in that. They're interested in other things. They get mesmerized by the, the flashiness of other things. When you, when you bring it back down to really seeking God and sacrificing and putting your flesh under, I mean, notice when you start talking about prayer and fasting, all of a sudden a lot of people find every excuse in the book, right? All of a sudden excuses start flying. <laughs> When you start talking about praying and seeking God and going after God, all of a sudden the ranks start thinning. All right, so Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for your presence here tonight. I thank you for the power of God. And Lord, I thank you for uh, this service and, and the word of the Lord. As we're going into paying the price for revival, Lord, I thank you for speaking to us through this series and that everything's going to be accomplished into it that you will to be done. And Lord, I thank you just seal this time as we've been in the word of God. Help us to remember it and learn from it because we know that when God, when you're in Egypt and God's promised you a promised land, there's going to be a wilderness before you get to the promised land. The wilderness is the opposite of milk and honey. And so you've got to stay the course to the other side. And Lord, we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in just a moment, we're going to pray for people.